Today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week, I believe Sunday evening, with myself and Vivek Jacob to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 917 of Lockdown Raptors for Thursday, April the 1st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And you can find the show at Lockdown Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Of course, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Lockdown Podcast Network as well. Support the shows covering the teams that you like in the Big Four Sports and the NCAA. For the final four, I believe we have a Baylor podcast, a Gonzaga podcast, and a UCLA podcast. So go and listen to those shows. Subscribe, rate, review, support the hosts over there if you are intrigued by the NCAA Final Four. All right, on today's show, we are talking about a very, very bad, no good loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder for your Toronto Raptors, 113-103 on Wednesday night. Apologies, this one's coming to you a little bit later in the day than usual. Uh, You know, kind of a difficult game to get up to record a podcast about, if I'm being entirely honest, and also had some other stuff going on, including... Recording some segments for Friday's podcast, which promises to be quite fun. I'll tease a little bit more about that later on in today's show. But uh, let's dive into the game against the Thunder. We'll get into my biggest takeaway. And then I have mostly just a bunch of uh, listener questions for today. I asked for like one question. I got like a bunch of pretty good ones. So I'll probably sandwich those into the second and third segments before we get to our third tankathon simulation of the day. We'll see if we can buck the trend of the Raptors falling down to number eight in the draft order when I do the tank sim. So we'll get to that all today. Let's get to... My biggest takeaway, though, first, and like I could go two ways with this. I could go positive, and I will talk about the positive side of this game in a little bit, but I will start just with sort of an overarching take. It's not even really a take. It's just sort of an acceptance, and it's that I I think that I just feel bad for the team more than anything else right now. Like I, I could get mad about the basketball, you know, Pascal Siakam did not have a good game last night. He was 2 of 9 from the field, 14 points. Really was not much of a factor in the second half. Fred Van Vliet also not much of a factor in the second half. His shot went awry, and it just was not there, despite him having 5 steals and 4 blocks, which was uh, freaking awesome and a wonderful bright spot of this game. Uh, The shooting was not there. The offense was just miserable entirely in the second half. 36 second-half points just ain't going to cut it, even against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are barely a basketball team. And we're rolling out Svi Mahaliuk, who is catching lobs from Justin Jackson, and Theo Maladon, who was like 3 of 16 as the starting point guard, yet it didn't seem to matter. This was a really, really rough game to watch. You know, I don't know how many illusions people had about the Raptors winning this game or, you know, like blowing out the thunder or whatever you might expect. Like it's 
The messed up thing is that this kind of result feels a little bit unsurprising, which is such a stark deviation from where the Raptors have been in the past, but it's just kind of the reality. And, you know, like I said, you can put it on Siakam and Fred for having tough games. You can put it on the bench. You know, Chris Boucher, I thought, had a very uneven performance, rough defensive game in this one. Malachi Flynn continues to not be able to hit anything. Rodney Hood leaves this game with uh, a hip injury, I believe, which hopefully he's okay. He's dealt with so much health crap. I hope he's okay. Um, But losing him was huge, of course. Stanley Johnson played 18 minutes and was not very good in those 18 minutes. And Aaron Baines had zero points in 21 minutes, um, but was somehow a team best plus six. Cancel plus minus forever, I guess. Um you know, you could point to all those things, point to the bad performance of Siakam and, and Fred and all that. But really, this game comes down to it, it feels like the Raptors have just kind of hit their limit. And, you know, Fred talked about this after the game, talking about how him and Siakam and OG are still dealing with the COVID wall and, and running up against it. Obviously, you no know, Kyle Lowry in this game either to help stem the tide and carry the load. And when that's the case, it's just it's difficult to... I mean, it's difficult to win a game in the Raptors state right now where they have like four good players on any given night, you know, with all the dudes who have been in and out of the lineup. It's really difficult to exist. It's difficult to exist when you don't have a center, but it's the most difficult to exist when three of your four good players are still being, you know, brought down and slowed down by the recovery from a virus that I think we've kind of learned is being measured more in months than in days or weeks. And it's probably... It's certainly unfair to ask Siakam and Fred to be doing more than they're like they're carrying such a huge load right now. The defensive burden is insane because they have to make up and cover over holes for everyone else on the team outside of the four good defensive players on the roster. And it's just it's too much. Fred talked about it. They're hitting the wall like they can have all this energy to start games. They can look great like they did against the Thunder where the first quarter was beautiful. The ball movement was incredible. It looked like they were going to cruise to a win over a very bad team. But then you lose your steam, and then all of a sudden your three or four good players becomes two or three good players because one is feeling tired, and then it's one or two good players, and then it's one good player, and then it's just Gary Trent bombing away while the rest of the guys are gassed, and the Thunder are just full of like bright and lively, youthful spirit, and they just overcome you. And it's just been the same story every single night. And at this point, you know, I think... With how bad things have gone, I think it's starting to creep in like, oh, are these guys just not very good or whatever? Or maybe they're not as good as we sort of play them up to be. And I just think that's wrong. Like, they're a good team. They're good basketball players. The ones who matter for the future are good basketball players who at points this season have propped up the roster and propped up the team in moments where Kyle Lowry's been out and where, you know, there's been poor performances from the rest of the bench. They've shown they can do it. And I think there's only one really sort of explanation for why things look so rough right now. And it really does seem like it's that recovery from COVID because we know these players are good at basketball. We've seen them win an NBA championship before and be major contributors to it. We've seen them win 59 games on a very good team and be huge parts of that as well. This spell here is just not the Raptors. And I feel really badly for them because they're very clearly down. They're very clearly dejected. And there's not really anything to turn it around right now except for the slow passage of time that will eventually bring us to the end of this health season and allow them to go just kind of reset in the offseason. At that point, at this point, I'm just kind of rooting for that. 
And so I like I don't even have much on the Raptors losing these games. Like it's just, I know I'm supposed to come in with heavy takes and oh this thing went wrong and it's just like you know what man they're over this shit and that's what happens. And so dwelling on the negative stuff which remains the same stuff that's been negative for a while now feels a little bit futile. So I'll offer a couple quick positive notes on this game before we get into some listener questions. Um, I think the main thing is Gary Trent Jr. was excellent and. He really does inspire a lot of hope and excitement, and you can see absolutely why the Raptors' front office said, this is the trade we're going to make for Norm Powell, instead of going for you know some sort of hypothetical picks, maybe some sort of half-assed prospect. You get a dude who's an established NBA player who, and it just dawned on me last night, he is the youngest player on the team, younger than Malachi Flynn, their first-round pick from this year. He's in his third year in the NBA, and he's younger than Malachi Flynn, and the upside that is there, I mean, you know, we've talked with uh, Mike Richmond last week about what great Gary Trent does. We've talked about what we've seen from him so far in his career and what he's done with the Raptors so far. But there is a lot untapped there. I think it was uh, our friend Yasmin, who will be on tomorrow's podcast, by the way. There's a tease. Um, Yasmin from the Neon Playbook and Dishes and Dimes. I think Yasmin was pointing out, like, you know, there's like an untapped potential that hasn't really been talked about with Gary Trent and in the Raptors development pipeline. You could really see him potentially adding to his playmaking repertoire or adding to his three-level scoring attack. Right now, he's kind of like a two-and-a-half-level scorer. He's got the three-point, he's got the mid-range, the around-the-rim stuff is a little bit, you know, sort of you know, clunky and weird, and the floaters are kind of off-balance. They keep going in, which is nice in the last couple of games at least, but, you know, that's certainly a thing he needs to work on. But there's like the skeleton of a very, very nice player here that the Raptors can sign this offseason to a potentially favorable contract and really have him flourish as an, like a legitimate part of this core, not some sort of fringe piece to the core, but like, no, this guy is part of the four and he is someone who they can grow with and have him sort of add stuff to his game year over year. Like that's very much a possibility here with Gary Trent. And last night is career high 31 points. Like they came in all kinds of different ways. You know, he didn't get to the line a ton. That kind of speaks to where the development still needs to be. It's sort of finishing at the rim and, and getting in there, absorbing contact, whatever it might be. You know, turning those awkward off-balance floaters into just leaning into a dude and trying to get the contact and scoring through it. That'll take some time. He's 22, once again, the youngest player on the team. Very exciting and fun to remind yourself of that. Um, but, you know, he had the the mid-range stuff. He did have some nice floaters. He had the three-point game, you know, kind of flown around off-ball, really nice off-ball movement, which is a thing that he's provided um, that, you know, Norm Powell was quite good at, and Gary Trent seems to be kind of stepping into that exact role. I'm liking what I'm seeing, man. And him going off last night was really the bright spot of an otherwise miserable performance from the Raptors. And it's one of those things that throughout the season, from here to the end, the things that you're going to be grasping onto, the things you should be grasping onto, are the flourishes of real excitement that we are going to see inevitably from the likes of Trent, Fred, OG, Siakam. That's the that's the crew. That's the that's the core. Everyone else, I don't think, matters all that much to the future plans of the team, and there's a reason for that. They're not very good, <laughs> and we're seeing that right now, uh, especially with Paul Watson and DeAndre Bembry still out, the two guys who kind of have been playing the best on the bench recently. Without those guys, it just is such a stark drop-off to the second unit, and you're just uh, you're seeing the effects of that. And we saw it again last night against the Thunder. Uh, that'll be it for my talking about the Thunder game. 
good English, Sean. Uh, I'm going to leave that game in the past forever because we don't need to dive further into it. Uh, And we will dive into some of your listener questions coming up in the second and third segments. Uh, Before we get to that, though, just want to give you a heads up about our friends over at betonline.ag who are the fastest and easiest place to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football is over, but the March Madness Madness, uh, finals this weekend, of course, you, uh, both on the men's and women's side, you've got the NBA, college basketball, the NHL. Baseball starts today. Watching the Blue Jays as we speak. It's incredible. Jordan Romano just got a, a ninth inning jam. Go bet on that. Bet on Jordan Romano throwing heat. Whatever it might be, you can go to Bet Online and do it for free. They've got you covered for all the news scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. And again, it's free to sign up. Head over to the website. Use your mobile device and sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So if you put in 100 bucks to get going, then you get 50 bucks added on top of that 100 to start out with when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar, who are making the best tasting protein bar in the world. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting, covered in 100% chocolate on all sides. And now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness, and it's the final, the final, it's chocolate chip or cookie dough chunk, sorry, up against coconut brownie chunk. Both incredible. I'm probably going cookie dough chunk on this one but you really can't go wrong you can go and bet bet vote i always say bet when i mean vote what's wrong with me go to builtbar.com and vote on who you think should win the built bar madness bracket you can also do it at bar underscore built on twitter and while you're at the website use the promo code locked 15 to get 15 percent off your next order of built bars that's locked 15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will be named the number one Built Bar flavor. My money is on Cookie Dough Chunk. All right, let's get into some of your listener questions. Before we do that, actually, just a heads up. Tomorrow's podcast, I'm teasing a little bit. It's going to be a nice, wholesome podcast. We're doing a Norm Powell appreciation episode where, similar to the Kyle Lowry episode I did last year after the season got paused, We were talking a lot about Kyle Lowry, uh, and I had six people on to talk about their favorite Kyle Lowry things. Well, for tomorrow's podcast, I'm joined by six guests to talk about their favorite Norman Powell moment with the Raptors. We've got a wide range of on-court, off-court stuff, wholesome stuff, new stuff, old stuff, all of it's beautiful. Norman Powell, the subject of tomorrow's podcast with six guests, including Yasmin, like I said, Yasmin Dwala from uh, Neon Playbook from Dishes and Dimes, from Basketball News, from the Toronto Star, literally everywhere. She's killing it. She's on the podcast. Katie Heindel's on the podcast. Vivek, Blake Murphy, Ashley Dawkins, Kelsey O'Brien, all jumping on to talk about their favorite Norm Powell moments, memories from his time in Toronto. That is tomorrow. Okay, let's get to your mailbag questions. We got a whole lot of mailbag questions that came in. Uh, Let's start with this one here from... Our friend, uh, let's go more Gary Trent talk. Gerb, get Herb Genahan. My, I apologize, but I can't read. I'm very sorry. Uh, Herb Genahan asks, "What do you think Gary Clark's Gary Clark Gary Trent's ceiling is?" Uh, my God, real pandemic brain over here. Uh, what do I think Gary Trent's ceiling is? You know, it's difficult, right? It's so hard with these three and D wings because you're always gonna sort of want more you're going to want more in terms of on-ball creation you're going to want to see that Macau Bridges jump that OG jump that's kind of happening right now and it's tough to pencil it in especially when you project forward with this Raptors team 
you know, Fred Van Vliet has the ball in his hands a lot. OG seems like he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. It seems as well like um, Pascal is going to continue to you know grow as a playmaker. Those guys are going to have the ball a lot. And if they draft someone who's an on-ball player, that's going to be yet another guy who's ball dominant with the ball in their hands. And Trent might kind of be relegated on this roster and this construct to being just a damn good 3 and D guy who sort of attacks closeouts, um, doesn't really run a lot of stuff on his own, maybe some secondary stuff as the as the stuff act, the actions break down. But really, he's you know a fifth option most of the time when he's on the floor. And that would be pretty damn good just to have him be a fifth option. Um, you know, it's it's difficult because you want to just easily say, oh, it's, he could be Norm Powell. You know, he's got the scoring. He's He doesn't pass much. He gets the low assisted rebound totals. He scores. That's great. It's just a different player. You know, he's not uh, as dynamic with the ball in his hands. He doesn't have the first step. And Norm is not the defender that Gary Trent is. So I don't think that's super apt. Um, you know, I do think Gary Trent, I don't really love player comparisons because every player is kind of their own thing and it's difficult and the nuances are tricky. But I do think Gary Trent, his ceiling is guy who can be on the floor in game seven of a of a finals or an enormous playoff series. Like I really do think with the combination of shooting and defense, like that's a pretty good baseline. He might be suitable for that role right now, like high leverage playoff minutes, you know, late in the game. He could be up for that. Uh, but I certainly think that'll be his bag going forward. And I don't like to limit guys. I don't want to say, oh, he's not going to figure out the on-ball stuff. I don't want to say he can't become like, uh, God, it's such a, you don't have a lot of shooting guards who are kind of of this archetype right now. It's a lot of sort of shooting guards who are kind of actually point guards and not a lot in sort of the 3 and D vein. So I guess you kind of look for small forwards who are sort of the comparison points. You know, I don't want to say Jalen Brown. He's far too good now. He's gotten way too good with playmaking and things like that. So that's probably an unfair one. I mean, if he never figures out how to do more than what he's capable of in terms of like the the, the dribbling and stuff like that, and the the playmaking and the initiation, the first step doesn't improve. He still probably is like a Danny Green level type player. Maybe not quite as good defensively, but a little bit more pop offensively. Probably a bad comparison. Um, you know, I think there's like maybe a little bit of something along the lines of, uh, geez, <laughs> this is really hard. I want to find a good player comparison. And I'm looking through like the rosters and the standings and the lineups that we see, and I can't really find much. Maybe like a dollar store Clay Thompson type, like excellent shooter, can do some stuff with the ball in his hands, but is okay to only ever shoot without dribbling. That's kind of a decent comparison, maybe. Um, but there are, that is a difficult comp to find guys for uh, at the two-guard spot. So maybe like a Josh Richardson, if he really ever adds more to his sort of playmaking repertoire, that could potentially be one as well. That's a difficult question, but I appreciate you sending it in, Herb, and uh, I will continue to ponder it a lot. Uh, this next one comes from uh, Red Fan Fleets on Twitter. If you could compare Doug Ford with a current NBA GM, who would it be? Uh, boy, cursed question, gotta say, (laughs) um, but hey, it's timely considering the state of affairs in Ontario, uh, GMs, it's difficult because like the GM president and sometimes owner sort of hierarchy has gotten a little bit confused in the NBA in recent years. And the tough part is there's not like any like clear blatant idiots in front offices anymore. Like they're all kind of hiring the same Harvard dude to be a GM uh, or, you know, former players as well in some cases. But it's pretty 
similar the types of guys who are getting these jobs. And that's kind of like a thing I miss about the NBA is teams that are just so obviously stupid and lost and making horrible decisions that makes trades more fun. It makes the whole experience more fun. It's frankly why the Rockets are awesome right now. But I don't really know if Raphael Stone can be considered Doug Ford just because he... You know, he seems like he's smart. He's just hampered by a terrible owner who refuses to let him trade for Ben Simmons and make deals with Daryl Morey and stuff like that. So that's like a Tillman thing. Tillman Fertitta, very much Doug Ford energy, but the question is GMs. So I guess my answer would be someone who is not very self-aware, maybe someone who likes to procrastinate, kick things down the road, uh, just kind of hope things will fix themselves. I'm going to go Sam Presti. How about that? Uh, I've had a lot of thoughts on the Thunder this week. I wrote a little game thread yesterday before the Raptors-Thunder game about Sam Presti and how much I dislike what the Thunder are doing and them stealing money from players with predatory contracts and stuff like that. Um, But the thing with Sam Presti is he's just constantly kicking it down the road. He's just like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get those picks and we'll figure it out later. We'll get those picks and we'll figure it out later. Doug Ford's whole thing is like, yeah, we'll uh, open the businesses and then we'll figure it out later. We'll open the businesses, then we'll figure it out later. And it's never figured out later. And uh, the way I hope that the Ontario spiral of like going back and forth and oscillating back and forth between lockdown and semi-lockdown ends, I hope that the Sam Presti Thunder plan of just running it back and getting picks and figuring it out later i hope that just becomes like a cycle of doom for the rest of time and they like get so horny for picks they trade shea this offseason or something and they continue to reset the clock and just amass all these picks and don't actually do anything of effect um so yeah doug ford sam presti maybe not the obvious one maybe i'm just cherry picking because i've been thinking about sam presti and the thunder a lot this week but that would be my selection and my answer to this question thanks for that one Got a couple more questions we'll get to in the final segment of the podcast. But first, I want to tell you all about a new podcast I think you're really going to love. And it's called Death at the Wing. It's a sports documentary podcast hosted by Adam McKay, writer and director of The Big Short, Vice, and Anchorman. He also, I believe, is behind Succession. I'm a big Adam McKay guy. 1980s basketball saw players like Magic Johnson and Dr. J becoming household names, bringing a faster and flashier style of play that captivated TV audiences. But along that way, to have wealth and stardom, the excess of the 80s took a toll on its next generation of basketball. And never in the history of any sport have we seen so many who are ready to become stars face tragic, tragic deaths in such a short time frame. McKay is joined by sports journalists and experts who lived through these moments in history to explore this overlooked phenomenon in the web of social, political, and cultural forces at play. I'm a big fan of a documentary sports podcast. If you love The Last Dance or 30 for 30, I think you're going to love Death at the Wing. Search for Death at the Wing wherever you get your podcasts to start listening. All right, before I finish up with a couple more mailbag questions, just a reminder that Locked On Blue Jays is going strong. Go listen to AJ Andrews on Locked On Blue Jays as she covers the Jays as they get their season started. So go and support Locked On Blue Jays. Okay, a couple more questions here before we get to our Tankathon Sim of the Day. This one here, okay, we got a couple related questions that I want to get to. This one comes from Jordan Papazoglu, who asks, which former Raptor, Abaka, Powell, Gasol, JV, Danny Green, will get the biggest ovation upon their first game back in Toronto? Not including Kyle, of course, because, of course, he stay. This is a good one. I would have said probably Abaka, but the love for Norm Powell going out the door and the Players' Tribune article and the sort of 
I think, appreciation for Powell that's really kind of coalesced here. Plus the fact that he didn't leave in free agency. Not that it's necessarily any sort of fault of Ibaka for leaving. He wanted to go and play for a team that was going to give him two years and didn't want to play in Tampa from what I can assume and sort of gather from his personality. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think you can like get mad at Ibaka for going to the Clippers, but I do think that Powell getting traded as opposed to leaving of his own volition We'll probably put him up there. I think JV is kind of a stealth candidate here. Definitely, he um, was beloved. The goodbye was swift and abrupt, and it still hasn't happened to the return. It's been a long time, so it was kind of be some pent-up energy for JV, but there's also the chance that because of the distance, it might be like three years almost between JV's games in Toronto. Maybe that'll be kind of forgotten a little bit. It could go one of two ways. Either it'll be a little bit muted because of the time, or it'll be... a pent-up release of energy that'll be wonderful but i'm gonna go powell here that's a very very good question though uh next question here comes from cashton who asks what are you most looking forward to about the raptors first home game back in toronto for me the player staff introductions will be the moment and sinks in that they're finally back that's a really good one um you know, I think the obvious one is the Kyle like exercise routine <laughs> and uh, assuming, hoping he's on the team when they do get back to Toronto. That will be insane. That'll be super fun. And I would imagine they'll bust out all the stops for it and make it as absurd as possible. And just like the Kyle, Larry, like that'll be pretty special, I think. For me, I'm also just looking forward to like the first time I walk back into like the media room and like see people <laughs> and like there's such a fun vibe before a game you know you sit down you eat some pizza you chat it out you you know talk about the games from the night before the game tonight whatever it might be you know debate some silly thing about the team that's in town playing um you know you'll see the assistant coaches come in to grab a bite to eat like just the vibe before a game is wonderful the smells are great like you're always walking through where they're cooking the food for like the uh the fan like the luxury suites down on the main floor like it's uh it's really intoxicating the environment and i miss it and i'm almost about to cry right now thinking about it uh, <laughs> i really really miss it it's a lot of fun and i'm certainly looking forward to that also like the first time herbie coon mispronounces a name or overpronounces a name that'll be pretty tight as well really missed that uh in my life is herbie coon overpronouncing dennis schroeder or uh anything like that any any name that is not uh smith or williams he likes to add some flair to and i uh i look forward to herbie also money city maniacs give me some money city maniacs i know they're playing it in games like i guess down in tampa they have the same soundtrack basically but a money city maniacs in a close game with like a minute 10 left after a timeout that's the shit right there, and I look forward to that. I want all of it back is the thing. Uh, <laughs> it's all going to be wonderful. Great question, though. Uh, we get so many questions. I'm sorry I'm not going to get to all of them here, um, but I do have one last one. This one comes from Jeff Hill, who asks, is Paul Watson an actual rotation prospect? I think he's a rotation player this year. Next, he's going to be affordable. He's on a two-year contract. They have the team option in the second year. Uh, and the way he's played, he's offered sound defense and has hit his threes and is six foot seven, making him like the fifth tallest player on the roster. I think he's going to be part of the team next year for sure. Whether he's like a future prospect, I don't know. He's not exactly like young, young. He's like 27 or something like that. So the development from here on out, you have to, I think, temper your expectations as to, as to what more he can be. But what he's been in the bench rotation for the last little while here before going out in the COVID protocols, 
has been, yeah, sure, a rotation player, an eighth, ninth man, something like that. And then you can go in next year if you're building the Raptors rotation and thinking, all right, the starting five probably going to be good. You know, whatever the pick is, Kyle, if he's back, all of those are sort of caveats and uh, you know, variables right now. But you know, the four guys are going to be there. You know, Boucher is probably going to be there as well, even though, um, you know, as I've said recently, I'm a little unsure about what his lot in life is going to be going forward here with the team. Um, but Watson, on the affordable contract he's on, if you pencil him in as the ninth or tenth guy and you try to fill in the gaps between the main guys and Paul Watson, I think you're probably doing all right with that and yeah I would expect him to maybe not be like a every night rotation guy next year I'm sure he'll have his moments where he's in and out of the doghouse or whatever as most guys tend to have with Nick Nurse but the way he's played the way they've talked about him it seems like they like him and his contract suggests yeah he'll be a nice affordable piece to have on the team next year on a team that could be kind of expensive depending on what happens with Lowry and in free agents and all free agency and all that stuff so yeah I think so Paul Watson rotation prospect hell yeah why the hell not uh, all right, let's wrap this thing up here the way we're going to do every podcast for the rest of the next two and a half months, two months and 22 days, whatever it is, until the draft lottery goes down on June 22nd. And we're going to do the Tankathon Sim of the Day. Of course, a reminder, the last two times out, the Raptors had the uh, seventh best odds and fell down to eighth. We're going to try it again. They're still seventh best right now. They are now two games clear of the Chicago Bulls, who owe their pick now to the Orlando Magic. It's a nice little pick to have here, Orlando. Goddamn. Um, so, yeah, the Raptors are two, two games clear of Chicago in the standings. Of course, the game against the Thunder last night was big for standings. Again, I'm not going to relish in them climbing these standings, as it were. I think it's a bummer. I think it sucks. I think rooting for the losses to happen is kind of ghoulish and... Uh, is by proxy rooting for the misery of the guys on the team who are very clearly affected by what's going on. So I'm not rooting for it. I'm just accepting it as a reality, and that's where we're at. But the Raptors, once again, at 7th with 7.5% at number 1, 32% of a top 4 pick. Let's sim the lottery, baby. And they fall in once again to number 8. This time the Houston Rockets jump up one spot to the number 1 pick. Uh, the Orlando Magic leapfrog the Raptors into the number two spot, and the Chicago Bulls jump up into the three spot, and it's a protected pick for them, which is what the Bulls are going to want, and they will get their pick if they end up top three. So congrats to them, I suppose, on uh, keeping their pick in this fake simulation. The Raptors pick eighth, and uh, after our talk with Robel on Wednesday, really hoping that they pick Jaden Springer or something like that with the eighth pick. That'd be all right. They're going to get a good player, I think. Barring getting jumped by three teams, which is like statistically wildly unlikely, I think we'll see the Raptors get a damn good player, regardless of if it's Cade Cunningham or whoever else with a top eight pick, which it seems like they're going to be in the top eight in some, in some fashion here, just the way the standings are kind of coalescing, even though there's plenty of time left for those things to change. All right, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will try to break the trend on Friday's episode with the Tankathon Sim of the Day and the Norm Powell Appreciation episode, and we'll see if the Raptors are able to jump up in these hypothetical fake tank sims that I've been doing. Um, until tomorrow, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thanks for 
continuing to support the pod the podcast despite the team being not very good and i think we can have a lot of fun with the team being not very good there really is like a bounty of options of things you can do when the team stinks and i'm excited in a weird way not that i'm excited the team is losing or anything like that but it'll be the first time it is the first time that i'm covering a bad team since starting the podcast i took over in 2016-17 and they've been good ever since and so it's a bit of a strange circumstance to be recording and podcasting in but I appreciate every single one of you for continuing to support the podcast and we'll have a lot of fun as we ride out the season. Hopefully this can be sort of like a salve from the bad on court play and it can still be a way to brighten your Raptors fan experience despite what's going on with the team. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again Friday with Norm Powell appreciation on another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye.